There are certain fruits that appear in a person's life when they see God with clarity. That if you see God with clarity, that if you behold an accurate view of God, there will be certain fruits in your life. And he said the fruits can be measured like this, that when a person sees God clearly, they have energy for God, number one. Number two, they have high thoughts about God. Number three, they have boldness for God. And number four, they have contentment in God. And so I thought it might be fun to kind of give you guys a little bit of a test. Now, what I'd like you to do is just give yourself a self-rating. Don't worry, you don't have to rate the person next to you, but you're going to rate yourself, okay? And I want you to rate yourself in these four measures. And maybe, maybe these measures have much, much, much to do with how you see God, okay? So what I'd like you to do, if you look in your bulletin, there is those four measures, and you can take a look at those, and you can give yourself a self-rating. Some of you guys are really hard on yourselves, and maybe you have to give yourselves like a little extra what you normally would give, and then maybe the other way for other people. But uh, test number one, I, 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 uh, question number one, I do want you to answer honestly, okay? So number one. Those who know God have great energy for God. Okay, so what I'd like you to do is just with, rate yourself from 0 to 10. Uh, 0 means I have no energy for God. 10 means you're like, you're like Paul. You know, you just, you, you're, 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 uh, you're bursting with energy for God. Okay? What I'd like you to do is just give yourself a, a self-rating from 0 to 10. Okay, question number two. Thoughts. The measure of thoughts. Those who know God have great thoughts of God. Great thoughts of God. High thoughts of God. You have a very rich thought life about God. What I'd like you to do is just rate yourself from zero to ten. And just get out a pen or a pencil and just give yourself a self-rating. Number three. Those who know God show great boldness for God. I would say that King David was there. Man, man, that guy was so courageous and so bold that it it was rooted in how he perceived God. So if there really is that connection there, then those who know God, see God clearly, would be very bold. So give yourself a rating from 0 to 10. And lastly, those who know God have great contentment in God. You have great contentment in God. There's a lot of satisfaction. There's a great sense of enjoying God. Give yourself a rating from 0 to 10. Okay, uh, how did we do? How did we do on this rating? What I'd like you to do is add up all four scores and you would have a total score. Okay, so the the greatest you could have is 40 and the lowest you could have is 0, I suppose, right? Now, what I'd like you to do is just think about this. If you got a 32 or higher, now it it didn't come with a grade scale, but I kind of gave it a grade scale. If if you got like a 32 or higher, and I just know this because we kind of think in grades or we've had a background in education and so forth. You got an A. You know, great job, thumbs up. I would say you're living an inspiring kind of life. Uh, Many people can learn from you. I want to learn from you. You need to be helping us lead and inspire other people with this kind of life. So fantastic. Keep it up. And maybe this word would be just encouraging you because you're already doing a great job. God's already doing a great job in you. If you score maybe 20 to 32, you got a B. Okay? Now this is, you know, from my own cultural background, I would just say, shame on you. Okay? For those of you who are Asian, you are Asian, okay? Uh, there you go. Um, I just needed to say that. No, But, you know, uh, there's, there's room for improvement. You could be sharper. 
There's some things about God that you could see with greater clarity. There, there's more fire that you can catch. There's more of a dynamic, inspiring life that you could li- live, and so there's room for growth. Now, if you got between a 12 and a 20, I, I guess that would be like a C. And my, my word for you is that there is more for you here. I would say maybe the root of it is how you see God. And if you did see God clearly, it would, it would inspire a lot of things in your life. I would say, if there's a, if there's a series for you, if there's a topic for you, this has got to be it. If there's a, if there's a time to pay attention, you've got to pay attention today. Because uh, I want to give you some practical tools that I think were, where we could really improve in, in this area. Now, let me say this. You're saying, okay, listen, uh, Pastor Andrew, I've got a B or I've got a C. And this is something that I could do better in. Can you give me a practical tool? What I want to do for the next four weeks is actually give you as practical a tool as I can. Now I would say this, in the past couple of years, the single most powerful spiritual discipline that I have uh, learned would be something that I would actually want to share with you. Now there's a lot of spiritual disciplines that you could, you could, you could use. I have found this to be the most useful in terms of helping me see God clearly. And I would say the, the discipline or the tool is meditation. And what I'd like to do today is actually create some sacred space for you guys to meditate. And what I'm hoping you guys will do is you, you practice it here, you're crafting a tool, you're learning a tool, and then you're going to take it home and practice it in your own quiet time. I want to be very practical with you. I think in a series like this it can be very abstract. I want to be as down-to-earth practical as I can be. And so what I want to do is just, I want to give you guys a tool. And maybe you'll find that tool useful on your own time, but we're going to craft it here and practice it on, on your own time. Now, the navigators had this five-fold way of reading scripture. Okay, and let me just clarify a little bit about meditation. Now, what the navigators did is they said there's five different ways to study scripture. And the five different ways could correspond to the five digits that are on your hand. We had a retreat not too long ago. And this was one of the main things that I pulled away from this retreat. Okay, so the one way you can, you can absorb the scripture, the scripture can actually make this transformation in your life, would be the pinky. Now you guys can follow along with me if you'd like. And the pinky is just hearing the word of God. Right now you guys are hearing the word of God. We're going to go into the Word of God. You're hearing it. That's the pinky. Now, the pinky is not the strongest digit in your, in your hand, but it's something. It's got a hook. It, it does something, right? Now, the, the ring finger would be reading. You read the Bible. When you go home, you, you crack open the Bible, you're reading the Bible, right? Uh, that also has great value, but it's not your strongest digit. It's your ring finger. Uh, yeah, it's your ring finger. Now, the middle finger would be studying the Bible. Now, for those of you who are in home groups, you get together with, in a small group, you're opening the Bible, you're studying the Bible. You know, that also has great value too. It's the middle finger. Now, the index finger would be memorizing the Bible. And some of you guys do that. You take the Bible, you think of it, you memorize it, you memorize the words. And so you're memorizing the Bible. That also has a value too. Guess what the thumb is? The thumb is meditation. Now look, what I'm doing right here is I'm holding my Bible. I'm holding the Word of God. And the the way this works is all four digits are going one way, right? But your thumb is the opposing digit. And your thumb goes the the other way. And because there's this tension in your palm, you can hold something. My point is, if you want to hold the words of God, if you want to hold, if you, if you, okay, cause we're talking about who God is, very abstract, it's in your head, but if you want to go from your head to your heart, do you know what you need to do? You need to meditate. 
That's how you get the truth from here to here. That's how you get it just from like, uh, it's an interesting theory to, I'm experiencing it. I'm feeling it. It's part of me. If you want to hold the words and the truths of who God is, I think this is the most practical tool I can give you, which is meditation. And so we're going to actually do that at the very end of the message. Now, today, we're going to talk about the first attribute of God. And the first attribute of God is the goodness of God. The goodness of God. Uh, A.W. Tozer um, defines the goodness of God this way. I I thought we could actually read this together. It's in your bulletin as well. Can you read this with me? The goodness of God is that which disposes him to be kind, cordial, benevolent, and full of good will toward men. He is tender-hearted and of quick sympathy. By his nature, he is inclined to bestow blessedness, and he takes total pleasure in the happiness of people. The Hebrew, Hebrew word for God's goodness comes from the word tov, or tuv, which refers to the quality in God that causes him to bless people, to deliver them, to store up good things for them in the future. Uh, I'm going to give you a, a couple scripture verses. Uh, the first one comes from Exodus 34, 5-7. to Okay, and let me just kind of run you through this. There was a time where Moses was deep in prayer to God on high on the mountain. And you could say that his burning was questions that he wanted to see God's glory. It's like Moses was saying, it's not enough that I do your stuff, Lord. I just want to see you. I want to behold you. And God said this to them. He says, I will call all of my goodness to pass in front of you. I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. And if you can in your Bibles, if you would turn to Exodus 34. Now what happens in Exodus 34 is God shows himself to Moses, but not just visually, but auditorially. He explains to Moses who he is, and he explains to Moses the essence of his being. And so this is the kind of the fullest description in the Bible, self-description, that God gives us of himself. And this is what he says. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, I want you to keep in mind, there's many things here in God, and we're going to unpack this. We're going to actually take four weeks to unpack this. But the thing I want you to focus on here is verse 7. Keeping steadfast love for thousands. Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands. Let me repeat that. Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is God. This is like, this is who I am. This is my heart. I'm abounding in love and faithfulness. I'm keeping steadfast love for thousands. J.I. Packer unpacked this. And he was saying, if I could sum this up in a key word, that key word would be generosity. Generosity means a disposition to give to others in a way that has no mercenary motive. It's not limited by what the recipients deserve. It constantly goes beyond what people deserve. 
In other words, I want you to imagine God saying to you, I want to be generous to you. I want to give to you and make you happy, not because you deserve it, but because there's something about who I am that would bring me infinite joy to express this kind of generosity to you. That's God's heart to you. I want to be able to uh, bring this home in, in, in kind of a personal way. So what I'd like to do is to show you a picture for a moment. Just to show you a picture for a moment. And then I want you just to observe what's the first thing that goes through your mind when you see the picture. And I'll kind of ask you afterwards, okay? Why don't we just go ahead and flash the picture. Bam! Okay. Now, I'm going to guess what you think and what you're feeling when you see that picture. I'm thinking that you're probably looking at that picture and you're going, that's a cute kid. Oh, And that's about it. Right? You can admit it, you know. <laughs> okay, I'll put, I'll put it this way. There, there was one time I was with my friend and we're at this party, so it was really noisy, but we're talking. And my friend actually, he didn't want to have kids. He, he, was, he was married, he was happily married, but he didn't really want to have kids. He was, he was happy without kids. And here I am, a family man with three kids, and I think having kids is awesome. And so I thought it might be fun just to try to see if I can convince my friend to have kids. And so, I don't know, I just thought it would be fun to do that. And so, right there and then, I had my second kid, Christopher, that's Christopher right there. And he was like on my leg, he was clinging onto my leg, but he was swinging around my leg like he was a pole. And he was just kind of going through my legs, back and forth, through my legs, back and forth. And I turned to my friend and I said, look, look, look at this kid. This kid is so adorable. Do you not feel like you want to have many of them? You know, you want to pour your life into, what do you think? And you know, my friend said, he said, he said, he said, you're right. He is so adorable. To you. <laughs> and part of me was like, really? And I started to realize that it's true. That when you see a kid like that, you just kind of go, that's a cute kid. And that's about it. But you understand that when a father sees his own son, it's a whole new different set of emotions. It's not just, oh, that's a cute kid, but it's just, it's this feeling like, I want to give everything I have that's good in my life to my son. I will not hold back. I want to give him every good thing. I want to give him absolute, pure, in, in the purest form, everything good that I can possibly give to my son. That's how, that's what I see when I see that picture. Can you imagine, that's what God sees when he sees you. He's not just, oh, that's a cute kid. But it comes with, with an emotional set of emotions. It's very rich, it's very complex, but his heart wants to give you everything that's good. Now, that's what I'm trying to convey to you, and I'm really hoping that you'll see it. Not more than see it, but get it. Not only just get it, but really just be blown away by that. Now, it's, it's not enough for me to give you a conceptual teaching. I would like to go further than that today. And what I'd like you to do is express to you the goodness of God in the way that Jesus expressed it. Now, the way that Jesus expressed it is he expressed it in the format of a story. This is a very well-known story. Of all the parables that Jesus told, this is probably the most famous story. Now, for the rest of the message, I'm just going to get lost in this story. 
And hopefully you won't get lost, but just know that I'm going into the story. But then coming out of it, I want to focus not on the son in the story, but on the father in the story. And I want to focus on the question, what does this story that Jesus articulated say about who God is? And the only appropriate response would be to be to, to have a, a, a well, we'll see. Uh, why don't we go ahead and show the video? I thought a cool way of actually telling you the story was to show you a video. It's a, it's an oldie, but it's a really it's a goodie. But it's a video uh, depiction of Jesus Christ as he might have told the story. Obviously, he would have said it in like Aramaic, but you know. So go ahead and enjoy this. Really, every word is straight from the scriptures, so I feel good to be able to do this. So let's just watch the video. Rabbi, we want to hear your words. No, 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 let's speak first. No, let him decide. No, 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 A certain man had two sons. And one day the younger of these sons said to his father, Give me my share of your estate now. So his father divided his wealth between his two sons. And a few days later, this younger son set off for a distant land. And there he squandered all the money he had on riotous living. Now, not long after this, a great famine swept over the land, and the boy began to starve. He persuaded a farmer to hire him to feed his pigs, but he was so hungry that even the husks he was feeding the swine began to look good to him. And still, Nobody gave him anything. Finally, the boy came to his senses. At home, even my father's servants have enough food and to spare. And here I am starving to death. I will go home and asked my father to hire me as one of his servants. And so, he set off. Now he was still some distance from his home when his father saw him coming. And he was so filled with compassion But he ran towards his son and embraced him and kissed him. The boy said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I am not worthy to be called your son. But his father called for the servants and said, Bring me the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Put rings on his hands and shoes on his feet. Kill the fatted calf, we must celebrate with a feast. 
my son was dead. And is alive again. Now, the older brother, at this time, was working in the fields. And as he came back to the house, he heard the noise of music and dancing. He called for one of the servants and asked what was happening. And he was told. At this, the older brother became very angry. And he refused to go into the house. The father came out, tried to plead with him, but he wouldn't listen. I have worked for you all this time, all these years, and never once have I disobeyed you. And in all that time, you've never even given me so much as a goat so that I could have a feast with my friends. My younger brother comes back, having spent all your money on harlots. And for him, you kill the fatted calf. Please, said the father. Please, try to understand. You are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But it is right to celebrate. Your brother was dead. And is alive again. He was lost. Is found. <clears throat> you know, as a, I've been a Christian for a long time, and so I, I've read Luke 15 many, many times. But I, I got to say, I was reading it this week, and it still. It still does something for me. I'm just like preparing for the message and like I'm crying in my office. It's embarrassing, you know, but there's something about who God is and his love that I, you kind of feel like, oh yeah, I get it, I get it. And then you, but you don't, you know, you, you put it in a box and it's always coming out of the box. But I know this is a famous story, but it brought me so much joy just to unpack the story, and so I want to unpack it with you together. Uh, I forgot to mention this. A lot of the content of this message was uh, contributed by Chip Ingram and, and Tim Keller. It's been very helpful in me um, understanding this passage, and so I want to unpack it for you guys. People have often called this story the prodigal son, but did you know that actually that is not correct? And people go, well, yeah, it's not the prodigal son, it's the prodigal sons. Well, actually, that's not really correct, too. It's more accurately called the prodigal father. If there's two scenes, the father is in both scenes. Whereas, you know, uh, the sons, uh, one son is more prominently in the one scene, the other son is more prominently in the scene. So it's more about the prodigal father. Now, the younger son goes to his father, and he says, Give me my inheritance. 
Now, commentators all agree, there's something about this has been lost. Like in, 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 in our day, in our culture, if a son does that, it might be more, a little bit more commonplace, you know. But I've got to say, back then, in, in the ancient uh, Middle East, this is virtually unheard of. You do not say this to your dad. Because what he was saying to his dad is basically, look, I know traditionally I'm supposed to wait until you die and then you give me the inheritance. And by the way, this is the younger son, so he inherited how much? One third, not half. Like nowadays, we're a lot more egalitarian. No, 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 no. The firstborn son gets twice as much. You have two sons, the first one gets two thirds, the younger son gets one third. Now listen, when he says, look, traditionally, sons will wait till the fathers pass away. I don't want to wait. I don't want to play that game. I'm tired of waiting. Give me my stuff now. Basically, he was saying, I don't want you. I don't want you in my life. I just want your stuff. Now, again, if, if you were in ancient times and you heard this story, you, you could hear like the, the audience going, oh, you know, it, this is shocking that a son would do this. Like, how dare this son do this? Now, what's kind of crazy is how the father responds. Now, no son would do that. They would, unless they're, you know, they're, they're really that rude. But no father would respond like this father responds. This father basically says, okay. Now, one thing you need to understand is that back, back then in ancient times, your land wasn't just something you owned. Your property was your livelihood. It was a measure of your life. You, you, your identity, your standing, your status in the community was tied to your property. So when the father sells a third of his property, he's basically he's tearing his life apart. Now, no father would do this. No ancient father would do this. This father would. God's like saying, your father would tear his life apart to give you your requests. Now, the son, he goes to a distant land and, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of party, party, partying, there's, there's drugs, there's alcohol, there's, there's prostitutes, there's pornography. And I imagine maybe in the scope of a couple of years, the money runs out. And so there's desperation, there's famine, there's hunger, there's loneliness. None of his friends will take him in. He takes the worst kind of job that a Jewish person can take because back then they had kosher laws which, which would forbid a Jew to eat pork. And here he is, he's, he's feeding pigs. I mean, he's hit rock bottom. It's the lowest of the low, but then he comes to his senses when he's feeding the pigs. So when he comes to his senses, he says, you know something, in my dad's house, even the servants are living better than I live. I'm going to go back home. I'm going to beg for forgiveness. I'm going to come up with a speech. I want to mean it, but I'm going to beg my father for forgiveness and maybe he'll take me back. Maybe he'll take me back as one of his, one of his hired servants, maybe. Now, now think about this. The, the father sees the son coming back from a far distance. I, I want you just to imagine this. You gave a third of everything that you have, all of your assets, you gave a third to your son who basically said, I want nothing to do with you, I just want your stuff. You, you acquiesced to his request, you gave him that money, he, he went off. And for years you didn't hear a word from him, no text, no email, nothing. And then he comes back 
and he's ragged and he's got like needle tracks in his hand, in his arm. What are you thinking? You're thinking he's probably come back for more money. Right? Like, you know, you, you, your kids go off to college and the one time they call you, they want money, right? Am I, not, am I, am I far off on this? Now, how, do, how, how would you respond? How, how would an ancient father respond? <laughs> and, okay, the story gets even more complex and even richer. Now, you have to understand something. Back then, in, in the ancient Near East, men lived by a certain man code. It was kind of an unwritten man code. No, this is, this is true, right? Uh, you, you, could be, you could be a man who was a servant. But if you were a patriarch, an owner of property and estates, and you have slaves and servants who are working under you, there is an even stricter understood man code. You behave in a certain way that is worthy of respect. You don't do things like run. Let me put it this way. Men in that time, men of high standing do not run. You don't run. Kids run. Women can run. That's how, that's how they thought back then. But men of high standing do not run. Here is a father who, he's wearing this long flowing robes. You imagine him. He's gathering his robes because, you know, you can't run with a long robe. But he's gathering his robes, and then what? You can see his, like, bare naked legs. You know, it's embarrassing. And then he's running. You imagine him running. They didn't run. But, but, but this father ran when he saw his son. Now, what does he say? He, he says, he says, um, he, he says, you know, uh, he, he embraces his son, he kisses his son, and then he's ordering his servants, you know, go get him some slippers, ring for his finger, uh, get the best robe. Who has the best robe? The father has the best robe. Get my robe. And you put it on him. And then there's this thing with the fatted calf. The fatted calf is a big deal because the son is complaining of all the things that the son is not happy about. He is not happy about the fatted calf. Why? Uh, there is a thing back then where if you understand the, 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 the history, back then they didn't eat meat that often. Meat was a delicacy. Only on rare special occasions would you, would you, would you kill an animal and eat meat. Okay? Like nowadays we have meat with every meal. Back then meal was a rare delicacy. Like, so you're thinking, okay, like in our day, in our time, this, the fatted calf would be Kobe beef or something. No, no. The fatted calf would be something more like Dinner at the French Laundry. Oh, now, now you get it, right? Uh, how much is dinner at the French Laundry? Uh, 250? Two, uh, 400? More. Okay. Now, how often would a person go to the French Laundry? Maybe like once in your lifetime? Uh, you have to understand. <laughs> you know, the father's like, we're going to the French Laundry. Everyone, okay? What kind of father would do this? Jesus Jesus, like, do you have any idea who God is and how he feels about you? Do you have any idea the measure of his generosity is compassion? <clears throat> let's, let's, let's go on with the story. Um, <clears throat> now, uh, the older brother... 
He doesn't come to the feast. And this is a huge insult to the father. He's the older brother and the father is throwing the feast of his life. It's expected that the older brother would come. The older brother should come, he should host, he should greet people, he should be giving portions of the fatted calf to people. But he doesn't do this, he's outside. Now, what the father does here is something again that an ancient father would never, never do. This is not something that patriarchs do. Fathers do not do this. If the older son won't come to the feast, you ignore him. But this father goes out to his son. You ignore him because you don't want... Because once you come, you come on his terms. You're submitting to the way that he wants things. You're playing his game. This father actually says, okay, I'll, I'll play your game. He goes out to the older brother. The older brother doesn't even dress him as father. He says something to the equivalent of like, look you. Not father, but like, look you. I've done all these good things for so long. And you've never even given me a goat. Then this son, who basically wasted your fortune, slept with prostitutes, he comes back home, and you kill the fatted calf for him. Son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. It's fitting to celebrate and be glad. Because your younger brother was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, but now he is found. I want to share with you guys a word about the son. And then I want to share with you a word about the father. <clears throat> the sons, there's two sons in this parable. Both of the sons are lost. There is one son that's out of the house and he's lost in his badness. What's surprising is that there's another son that's in the house... But this son is lost because of his goodness. Both sons don't want the father. All they want is his stuff. They want the things that they can get by being in relationship with the father. But they don't want the father. Both sons are lost. And I'm just wondering that if there are people inside this house who are also lost. You're in the house. You do good stuff. But you have no real love for the father. You don't really want the Father. You just want the benefits of being in the house. You're here and there's no real affection for God, no real hunger for God. You don't want Him. You're here because it's the right thing to do. You're like the older son who was really good because it was the right thing to do, but you don't want God. And maybe what you will find today is the Father coming to you and saying, Please, come to the feast. Understand my heart. Everything that I have is yours. Come, come. I want to be in relationship with you. Will you respond to me? Come, come, come. Now, I want you to take a good look at the Father. He tears apart his life to give his son what his son asked for. Then when the son comes back having nothing to offer, this father runs. He runs to the son. He throws his arm around the son. When Jesus is telling this parable, he's saying, do you have any idea the heart of God? Look at God. Do you have any idea how big his heart is for you? Do you have any idea how compassionate, how generous he is towards you? Do you have any idea how he wants to give you what you don't deserve? That inside his heart of hearts, he wants to give you everything. He wants to withhold no good thing from you. Do you understand that? He wants the very best for you. 
And even when the older son disrespects his father, the father is so humble, he goes looking for the older son. He says, everything that I have is yours. Come to the feast. I want to have a relationship with you. Don't you understand my heart for your kid brother? Don't you understand my heart for you? Now, there's something about this parable, it, it really captures our hearts, but there's another story that's layered on top of this story. It's the historical story. And if this parable doesn't do it for you, then maybe the historical story, the meta-narrative, will actually do something for you. It's interesting. In this story, Jesus gives us a picture of a very nasty older brother. Right? Now, why is he nasty? I think part of the reason why he's nasty is the younger son has come back, and the younger son is now taking his stuff. Now, now stay with me. Jesus kind of hints at this. When the father returns... And, and, and beckons the son to come in. He says, son, everything that I have is yours. Now, technically, this is true. Why? Because the father had two sons, so all the inheritance would pass to the two sons, right? The first son would take a third, and he took his third, and he squandered it. So everything that's left, technically, in the future belongs to who? The older son. It's the rest of the two-thirds. So when the father says, everything that I have is yours, technically, in the future, that's true. So when the son comes back and he killed, and they killed the fatted calf, whose fatted calf was that? The oldest son's like, that was supposed to be mine, right? And he comes and gives him the best robe. Whose robe is that? The oldest son's like, that was going to be mine, right? He gives a picture of a very nasty older brother. But Jesus gives us a picture of a very nasty older brother so we would long for a true brother. What, what's a true brother? A true brother is one that would go looking for the younger brother. Now think about that. Wouldn't, it, wouldn't, for those of you who have older brothers, if this happened to you, wouldn't your older brother go looking for you? Some of you are like, I'm not actually not sure he would <laughs> or she would. But, but isn't that what an older brother does? Father, I, I know that your heart beats for your son. I will go looking. So Jesus paints this picture of a very nasty older brother so that we would long for a true brother who wouldn't just go from village to village, but who would traverse from heaven to earth looking for us, looking for a way to buy us back to the heart of the Father. Isn't that what we have in Jesus Christ? Isn't that what Jesus Christ did? He came from heaven to earth to buy us back. And so he was sacrificed on the cross. And through his death on the cross, he was bringing us back to the heart of the Father. Isn't that not the generosity of God reflected through Jesus Christ on the cross? We're longing for a true older brother. Isn't that what Jesus Christ is? Isn't that what he did? What, what I'd like for us to do right now is to spend a few minutes just meditating. That, that I had some, few, some, some application points, but if there's one application point that I want to, to, to really develop, it would just be meditating on this. I feel like that would be probably the best use of our time. Now, if, if you will, uh, I want to kind of walk you through what it looks like to actually meditate. So I, I did a few exercises that I think might be helpful for you. Okay? So what I'd like you to do is, if you look in your bulletin, there's, there's a card. And on that card are a couple verses. 
Now, if you have a pen or a, a pencil, what I'd like you to do is fill in the blanks. And what we're going to do is we're going to actually show you the answers to those fill-ins. And then you can fill those in. And as you do, you can meditate on those words. If there's another word that I forgot to underline that I would want you to meditate on, it would be run. And what I want you to do is just visualize God, the Father, running to you. I want you to visualize God tearing apart His life for you. And then running to you at the first sign of your response. That's how much He loves you. That's, that's how generous He is to you. That's how He does not want to withhold any good thing from you. Let's use this time to let these concepts move from our head to our heart. And maybe even to a knowledgeable experience. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. And then this is your time to meditate on the scripture. And to go deeper with your heart in God's word. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would make the love of God real to us. Uh, I think for a lot of us, it's just an abstraction. It's a concept. But I pray that there would be many here today that would feel your love. Maybe even for the first time. Or maybe for for the first time in a long while. They would be melted by your love. They would just sense your Holy Spirit sharing the amazing generosity of God. And it would flow from our heads to our hearts. It would flow into the deepest place. Let your Spirit work now. Uh, And so these next three minutes are for you just to meditate on God, just to be open. Just to to let your mind, you know, uh, partake in a feast. And that feast is the love of God for you. Just meditate on that. Just fix your heart, fix your mind on that. Let's let's really make this time um, um, powerful. visual so I'd like you to just go ahead and take a picture uh, look at this picture painted by Rembrandt of the prodigal father uh, Henry Nouwen wrote this book where when he saw this picture he was he was mesmerized the, the actually the real mural he was mesmerized and just looked at that for hours and hours on end he was just he found himself in the arms of the father and it was such um, an amazing moment. He just wanted to savor it. And so he savored it and savored it for, for a, a couple days. I want you just to look at that picture. And I want you to just imagine yourself in the arms of the father. Just like the prodigal son right there. I just want you to imagine in your mind God running to you. Ancient patriarchs do not run. This father runs for you.
listen to this, I just want you to hear the words and continue to imagine God running to you. Son's come home. 
And he brought me to my knees when God rests. 